Shalom, Mishpokah. Welcome to this week's Kadima Talk, Personal Spiritual Growth. Want to spend a little time on honing your own walk and intimacy with the Lord. This is critical in being a leader. We start in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 11. It says, finally, grow powerful in union with the Lord, in union with his mighty strength. Use all the armor and weaponry that God provides so that you'll be able to stand against the deceptive tactics of the adversary. So you know when you're serving God and when you're in the kingdom, there will be attacks. It is coming. There will be deception. But by honing yourself in God's word as kingdom and in his ruach, it prevents this from happening. Paul issues a warning at the end of his letter to Ephesus here that they are up against Hasetan himself an enemy who will do anything to stop them. Instead of moping around, Shaul lays out a specific plan for the Talmudim in Ephesus. They are not to approach this fight in their own strength. They are to rely on God because only he can defeat Satan, specifically Yeshua. Shaul tells those in Ephesus to put on the whole armor of God in order to stand and prevail. Shaul issues instructions of preparations for what's coming. When we practice and move on intuition, we will provide the congregation with a strategy to win, knowledge of the opposition, needed resources, a plan for how to use those resources, and detailed communications. And this is where we're at right now. Our unction, our spiritual inclinations tell us that something profound is coming. We all know something's on the horizon. We've had so many prophetic words and so many confirmations that from the election on, things are going to be difficult a month, maybe two months, but we must prepare and meet the challenge head on. We do so by keeping sharp. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 says, if the hatchet's iron blade is blunt and its user doesn't sharpen it, he will have to exert more effort, but the expert has the advantage of his skill. So we have to keep sharp that we not use as much energy and work smarter, not harder. Next B, we have to retrieve the cutting edge community. Second Kings 6 verses 1 through 7. I said, the guild prophet said to Elisha, as you can see, the place where we're living in order to be with you is too small for us. Please allow us to go to the Yarden. Each of us will collect a log there and we'll build a place for us to live. And he answered, go ahead. But one of them said, please, won't you come with your servants? And he answered, all right, I will. So we went with them in verse four. And when they arrived at the Yarden, they cut down the trees. But as one was felling a tree trunk, the head of his axe fell in the water. Oh no, he cried. My master, it was a borrowed one. The man of God asked, where did it fall? He showed him the place. Then Elijah cut a stick, threw it in there, and the iron axe had floated to the surface. Lifted out, he said. So he put out his hand, and he took it. So when we work together in community, there's power in our numbers. I shared this a number of weeks ago. The power of the congregate is the congregation. The power of the congregation is the congregate. So when we come together as the body, the fivefold ministries, we all work together. We receive and walk in the cutting edge. We retrieve the cutting edge. Next, see Adonai desires to show you his depth. In Psalms 25, verse 14, Adonai relates intimately with those who fear him. He makes them know his covenant. Now remember, Hasatan is selling bankrupt stock. You cannot fail unless you quit. And I share this often. It's a staggering statistic, but 90% of people fail and stop when they're within 10% of the goal. We have to keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, and keep pressing. 
Anointing has to do with lifestyle, not gifts. And anointing means you're set apart for service unto the Holy One of Israel. Unity releases the anointing and the glory of God. It's his desire that a body be prepared for his son's return and not based upon any segregation or division. There are five things that I want to share here that are more, uh, many more, but I felt led to talk about these specific five that short circuit anointing and cause division. And, and I want to press into this for a second uh, because I hear this all the time and I also share this often. People say, oh, Rabbi, your anointing's increased or that person's got a fresh new anointing. It's not how anointing works. Anointing comes from God and it's the process, the gift, the allowance to do something. So when Saul was anointed to be king, he, even though the presence of God left him, he was king until he died. The anointing is the ability to do something. It's the calling, it's the destiny. So that doesn't go up, that doesn't go down. If you're anointed to be a Messianic rabbi, you're a Messianic rabbi. If you're anointed to be a psalmist, then you're a psalmist, a musician. What comes and goes is the presence of God. What departed from Saul was the presence, not the anointing. So here's, here's things that kill an anointing, haughtiness and pride. John Fox, the great Protestant reformer and founder of the Presbyterian denomination, once said, you can't antagonize and influence at the same time. I expect you to intercede and not do this when you see this in action. You can't antagonize. And this is common in the Messianic realm. Once we come into the truth and we've come out of where we've been, we tend to look back at scorn and look down on those who are still doing where Honestly, most of us were at 15, 20, 30 years ago. So we have to be careful. And another uh, one-liner that I got from my friend, uh, Rabbi Eric Togager, you can't clean the fish till you catch it. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, there are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 21 verse 4 says, haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. So these are all things that uh, subvert and kill your anointing to do what God has called you to do. Luke 5 verse 30 says, the Prashim and their Torah teachers protested indignantly against his Talmudim saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They're judging one another. They didn't understand who Yeshua was, pride and haughtiness. Luke 18 verses 10 through 15, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Perush, the other a tax collector. The Perush stood and prayed to himself, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, immoral, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of my entire income. But the tax collector, verse 13, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes toward heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, sinner that I am. Verse 14, Yeshua said, I tell you, this man went down to his home right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Number two, offense. We talk about this a lot. Proverbs 18, 19, it's harder to win an offended brother than a strong city. Their fights are like the bars of a fortress. We have to give our right in being wronged. A mature believer cannot be offended in the kingdom of God. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, let your attitude toward one another be governed by your being in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself and that he took the form of a slave by becoming like human beings are. And when he appeared as a human being, have you been wronged? 
Have you been placed into a position that you didn't deserve or had nothing to do with, but you've been blamed? Maybe even held accountable for the event, even though it wasn't your fault. I would say the answer is yes for every one of us. This places you at a critical crossroad with a very big decision to make. Will you spend your time and energy in what should, what should have been trying to clear your name and character, or are you going to focus on what can be? You can't get that chip on your shoulder and try to vindicate yourself. The Lord says vindication is mine. And I can tell you after 20 years in ministry, I can attest and witness this. Rabitzin and I have been hurt so many times I can't even count them. The injustice is hard to comprehend. You pour yourself out to people physically, spiritually, and even financially. And even when truth and justice are on your side, you may never be able to right your wrongs. Continually fighting for your rights will make you resentful and angry, which are destructive emotions that deplete your energy and make you a negative, bitter person. In fact, it actually causes apostasy. It causes you to fall away from God. When you focus on your rights and past wrongs, you're looking backwards rather than forward. It's imperative that you lay those wrongs down, release them, and move on in the journey, which is in the forward direction, which equals growth and maturity. All things placed under the blood are washed away to be known no more. There's no condemnation. There's no reflection on these things. They are washed away. You can recognize the wrongs and learn from them, but forgive and focus on what you can control. It's our kingdom responsibility. When that is done, it increases your energy, builds your potential, and improves your faith. Let's look at another example from Job 42, verse 10. When I of Job prayed for his friends, Adonai restored his fortunes. Adonai gave Job twice as much as he had before. Listen, after enduring nearly 40 chapters of criticism and condemnation from his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, Job now has the opportunity to get even to clear his name. And let you, if you go back and read these chapters, chapter after chapter, they scold him. They say he doesn't know God, that he's now rebelling against God, that there's sin in his life, that he's, and you know the opening story, Job was righteous before God. It was the hands of the enemy upon Job. Job was in a position to redeem himself and give a big fat, I told you so, but he doesn't. He lets God do this. He lets vengeance and grudges go. Job let it go and forgave his friends and interceded by praying for them, which brought about full restoration, even more so than what he had before upon Job's life. I recently was uh, sharing with Joshua, our worship leader. There was a worship leader in Richmond who wrote some great Messianic songs, uh, was really uh, anointed, a very talented man, but he, he got into some kind of a predicament or issue or Zurus uh, with the pastor at the church. Rather than handling this between the two of them, he sent out a community-wide letter to hundreds of us, Messianic rabbis and pastors, and uh, scornfully attacked the pastor. We've never, this was about 15 years ago, we've never heard from that gentleman again. Justice, justice, seek ye justice. Vengeance is of the Lord. It's not our place. We have to give up our right and being wronged. Let's compare some low roads and high roads. Those who take the low road, revenge and retaliation when wronged. Those who take the high road have unconditional love and forgiveness. Those who travel the low road play the same game as others. Those who are on the high road refuses to play the games living on principles. Number three, those who are on the low road are guided by emotions with many ups and downs. But those who take the high road are guided by character. Number four, the low road 
They live reactive lives. They live no better than any other human beings. Those who take the high road live proactive lives. God is revealed in this life. Next is strife. Proverbs 15, verse 18, hot-tempered people stir up strife, but patient people quiet quarrels. Personal insecurity breeds jealous strife. Too many leaders are insecure in who they are. They're insecure about their congregations. They're insecure about those positions. You have to move forward in confidence. Oftentimes, we base our security on the opinion, affirmation, and acceptance of other people. When we feel rejected or unloved, we become dangerously insecure, leading us to perceive the strengths of other people as threats to our own well-being. To battle the impediment of insecurity, we must turn to God through his word to tell us of his unfailing love and acceptance. It's not, this is critical in the Messianic realm because we're rejected from most of Christianity. We get rejected from our families. Orthodox Judaism rejects us. So we've got an identity crisis many times throughout the Messianic realm where we're trying to get acceptance by other organizations. So we try to be orthodox to gain their acceptance, or we try to be churchy to gain their acceptance. The reality is your identity is formed in Yeshua. That's the only opinion that matters, not the thoughts, not the uh, words or gossip or slander, not from anybody else. It's what God thinks. That's what matters. And your identity in Yeshua is who you need to move forward in, not somebody else's identity, not by comparing ourselves to other ministries or other organizations, but you and God alone. Contemplating this task will take active engagement in the battle through research, reflection, and prayer. Here are just a few passages that confirm our identity in God through Yeshua. Psalms 13, verses five and six, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Psalms 48, verse 9, within your temple, O God, we meditate upon your unfailing love. 1 Samuel 12, verse 22, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. You are his. Psalms 27, verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So your identity is in Yeshua and Adonai. There's no need for insecurity. There's no need to feel inadequate when you're around other people in the kingdom of God or better speakers than you or better leaders than you. It's always an upward process. You're always growing, always expanding and getting stronger in him. But your trust, foundation, and faith is in God through Yeshua. Nothing else on this earth, not a spouse, not a child, no material things, God and God alone. The next thing that undercuts anointing, number four, gossip. Leviticus 19, verse 16, do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not try to get ahead at the cost of your neighbor's life, for I am the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Proverbs 16, verse 20, fire goes out for lack of fuel and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. There's no rabbinical story of a man who had slandered his rabbi, and this is spread across town. And when the man had done that, he felt guilt. He felt condemnation. And he went back to the rabbi and he asked for an apology. And the rabbi said, take a feather pillow to the roof of the building. He did. He said, now open up the end of the pillow and release all the feathers. And when the wind got those feathers, they scattered to the four directions of the wind. And the rabbi said to the man, get those feathers back. And the man said, I can't because they're gone. And the rabbi said, so are your words. Once you release them, you cannot retract them or get them back. 
A lie will transverse the globe three times while truth is still buckling her shoes. One of the most insidious aspects of ministry that we deal with is gossip. In the Hebrew, we refer to that as Lashon Hurrah. And I want to share nine rules regarding Lashon Hurrah. This is in your life. This is in your work. This is in your businesses. This is in congregations. This is critical. Number one, it's Lashon Hurrah to convey a derogatory image of someone, even if that image is true and deserved. It is slanderous to do so when the image is false. Number two, it's Lashon Hurrah to convey information about people that can cause them physical, psychological or financial harm. You know the most dangerous weapon in the world is? Gossip and a lie. Because a bullet can only go three or 400 yards. A lie can go around the world faster than the speed of light. 